You're already broken people, faithful God. Broken people, faithful God. And this is a study out of the book of Judges. And let me just say, if you weren't able to be here last week, let, I really do want to encourage you, go online and watch last week's message. This isn't, this isn't about me. It, it is about giving you some context and some, some historical understanding of, of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing this. Really, really important. So you can go online and do that. All you need to do is go to our website, click on media. It'll take you to our, our YouTube page, and they're all there. We have all of our messages archived, so I want to encourage you to do that. It's always a tool. And very shortly, we will be also offering a podcast of what is uh, spoken on weekends. That way, for those of you who don't have the time to get online and watch something, you can download the podcast and do it on your way to work. You can do it while you're doing yard work, wherever you might be. That'll be another tool and a resource for you. And that being said, I just want to pause for a moment and welcome everybody who is joining us online. Because what happens each and every weekend, we have people literally all over the country joining the service with us, both at the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m., and worshiping with us from their particular location. So we welcome you. We're so glad that you have joined us this morning. Broken people, faithful God. You know, here's the reality. When we we break faith with God, and what I mean by that is we just, we kind of step away from Maybe what we have believed or, you know, what we think about faith, what we think about God. When we break faith with God or, or our faith is broken, something, something occurs within our life that just says, you know something, I, can't, I just can't do this anymore. And I, I think we all probably know somebody just like that. In fact, I truly believe that every one of us at some point in our lives have a crisis of faith. And we, we begin to question what it is that we believe. And I, I will tell you, I've, I've grown up in this my entire life. It's all, I have, it's all I have ever known. But there have been times when I'll just pause and I'll think and i say, is, every, is this really real? That's a crisis of faith. And gratefully, I've come back into a place where that, those questions dissipate and I'm able to, to reconcile the things that I'm thinking through. But I will tell you, when we break faith with God, nothing good results. There's just nothing positive about it whatsoever. And Marcy and I were privileged uh, to be in student ministries for about 12 years. And I, I, it was such a delightful time of our, of our lives. It was a crazy time. It was busy raising three little kids as well as trying to raise however many teenagers that we had to raise alongside of them it was it was it was really a very enjoyable experience I tell people often I said once you're once you're a student ministries pastor once you're a youth pastor you really stay a youth pastor your whole life there's just something about that experience of time that is so very valuable and I treasure it we had a wonderful group of students the the fun, the, the place that was our last place of ministry in, in for students was a little town, not a little town, a medium-sized town outside of Sacramento. And we, we saw God do some extraordinary things in our time in Woodland. It really was amazing. In fact, we were on our way to a, a missions event. We stayed in Woodland overnight at a hotel, and we just couldn't get over the fact of saying, this is Woodland? This, what? They've got a Costco now. Good night. You know, it was really come up in the, really come up in the world. It, it was a wonderful environment. 
Well, there was a young lady in our student ministries there. She was a delightful, a delightful gal. Watched her grow up, and she became really one of our student leaders. She babysat for us. Uh, she was just a very integral part of who we were as, as a family and also as a church. There came a period of time when she graduated from high school, and she just kind of disappeared off the, off the face of the earth. I didn't see her, and I, I, we were concerned about her, and I was, trying, I was reaching out, and I was getting no response. I, it, she just disappeared. And I thought, you know something? I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go down to where she works, and I'm just going to show up unannounced. So I decided to do that. I thought, man, that's a great idea. When I walked in the door, if there's such a thing as an extreme cold shoulder, I got it. I got it full on. In fact, she didn't, she would hardly acknowledge that I was there. There was a bitterness, a, a hardness in her, in her face. In her, I'd never seen it before. And I shared with her, and she made very clear to me in no uncertain terms that anything I had to say, not going to work. I remember walking out the door absolutely just sick in my heart and my spirit. In fact, I can still remember walking back to my car just brokenhearted at what I'd experienced. And one of the things that I realized is that something had, something had occurred that had broken her faith. Her faith was just demolished. Now, I'm grateful I'm grateful that in time, that relationship with us was restored, her relationship with God was restored, and I had the privilege of doing her wedding a couple years later. Things turned out well, but here's what I want you to hear. Breaking faith, breaking faith and broken faith results or creates brokenness. It creates brokenness at every, at every, at every stage. When we break faith, it breaks our hearts. We may not recognize it initially, but it does. It breaks the hearts of the people around us. When we see a person who walks in broken faith, nothing good results from a broken faith. So this morning, we're going to talk once again about this idea of broken faith and breaking faith. We're going to do so by talking about a personality from Scripture by the name of Deborah. Deborah was uh, the only female judge that we have recorded in, in Scripture. Now, here's the thing. There are other very significant female leaders in the Old Testament. Uh, Miriam, uh, Huldah, Esther, just to name a few. There are some very significant ladies. But none of them were judges. None of them took the civil leadership and the oversight of Israel as Deborah did. She was a judge. She actually would, would meet and she would judge the disputes of Israel under a place called the tree or the palm of Deborah. Her name, which I think is interesting, her, her name means bee, as in the buzzing type of bee. And you could call her in some respects, although she wasn't a queen, you could call her a queen bee because she oversaw what happened in Israel. In fact, she's also, here's another name for her is the mother of Israel. So you can see she had a leadership quality about her that's unique. And it is also very important to understand that at this particular time in history, 
This is a male-dominated world. Okay? This is very unique for a woman to rise to prominence as she did. But God set her apart to lead his people. And while, uh, we, while she led Israel, there are some, and, and this is the story of her, there are some very, some very uh, significant individuals in this story. Individuals by the name of Jabin, who was the evil king. Sisera, who was the commander of Jabin's armies. Barak, who was the commander of the armies of Israel. And a housewife by the name of Jael. So we're going to talk about this very unique personality. And I believe God's going to give us some insight this morning and some things that I believe we're going to walk away with that will help us in the, in the times where faith breaks or where, our, where we break faith. But we also recognize something in every case, even in the story that I mentioned about this young lady, God remains faithful all times. And I'm grateful for that. So we're going to start Judges chapter 4. Beginning, we're going to read a lot of verses again this morning, but we're going to break them up to make it a little bit easier for you. Judges chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his armies, was based in Hasareth Hagawim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now, before I give you this first thought this morning that, that you could take a note, I want you to kind of get this, the picture that's here. You've got Jabin the king of Canaan. You've got Sisera, who is the commander of his armies. And there's another little phrase in there, 900, 900 chariots fitted with iron. I want you to understand how significant that was. That was like the armored division of Jabin's army. There was nothing that could compete with 900 chariots of iron. Cavalry couldn't compete with it. Foot soldiers certainly could not compete with it. And you notice that they cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. But that's all that is good, but here's the part I want you to catch, and I'll give you the point at this point. Same song, same song, fourth verse. You say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, there's, a, there's this euphemism that when you repeat a similar behavior, you say, same song, second verse. Why do I use fourth verse? Because Je- Deborah is the fourth judge that we study or that we learn of in the book of Judges, and each one prior to her has had a recurring pattern of behavior. What does the Scriptures begin with in verse number 1? The first word, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is now the fourth time around they have done the same recurring pattern where they have walked away from God. And not only that, they have lived under this oppression for 20 years before they cry out to God for help. What does that say to us? Here's what it says to me. Is that sometimes I just keep repeating bad behavior. 
Anybody in the room ever don't answer that question? Just think about it. Do you ever just keep going back to the same well again and again and again? That's Israel. But here's, here's don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. They waited 20 years before they cried to help, cried for help. Can I just encourage you, if you find yourself in a recurring pattern, don't wait. Don't wait because things just get worse and worse and worse. Israel recurring pattern rears its head again. And Deborah, the fourth judge now, the fourth judge, uh, is leading Israel, is going to lead them out of this oppression. And what is interesting to me is that when Ehud dies, something happens. The accountability that Israel had to their leader is now gone. And when accountability, when we walk away from the authority and the accountability that God brings into our life, we tend to do just what Judges chapter 21 and verse number 25 says. We seem to do what is right in our own eyes. And that's a dangerous place to be. Be resolved this morning not to break faith, as the Israelites did. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it said, Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And you say, well, that's a little harsh, Pastor Gary. The evil desires, are my desires evil? I'm not here to say they are or they're not. But I do know this, if there are recurring patterns of behavior that displease God, that isn't a place that we want to be. And why would we continue to be in a recurring pattern of behavior that displeases God? Because that is not where life abundant and full is. It's found in a life that is free of that. The second thought this morning is Jabin, the man behind the scenes. You say, well, again, that's not really very inspirational, Pastor Gary. What is that all all about? Well, maybe this will be a little more inspirational for you. There's a wonderful movie, The Wizard of Oz. And it all brings a little bit of a smile to our face. When we think about the Wizard of Oz and, you know, the, the brainless and the heartless and, the, you know, the lack of courage and all this stuff. And the Wizard of Oz, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you may remember, if you've ever seen the movie, when they finally get to the Emerald City and they're now in front of the great and all-powerful Oz, something happens. Uh, Oz says this, ignore that man behind the curtain. It's all a farce, isn't it? He's just a representative of something. Well, why do I bring that up? Jabin is the man behind the curtain. He's the one who really is cruelly oppressing Israel. Canaan was not a a specific kingdom. It was a consolidation of tribes. And Jabin was the evil king that just kind of oversaw all of this. And you say, well, okay, but what's the significance of this? I don't want to take this too far, but don't miss this. You can take an allegory too far to where it becomes kind of ridiculous. But I want you to know this. The spiritual battles and foes that you and I face, hear this carefully, have a source. There is a man behind the curtain. And that individual, that personage, who is behind the curtain, is the adversary of our souls, Satan himself. 
Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Some of us are dealing, we're, we're confronting a variety of difficult things in our life. And we look at that as being, that's what it is. That's what I'm fighting against. But understand, there is someone who is fueling that fire. There is someone who has only one purpose or a number of purposes for you. And that is to destroy your life. That's exactly what Jabin's role is. It was his desire to destroy the people of God. Cicero was just the one going and doing his bidding and doing what he had commanded him to do. There is a man, there is a personage behind the curtain. Revelation chapter 12 says this giant dragon is that old snake, the one called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world into the wrong way. He is the one who accused them day and night before our God. Satan, Satan has only death, heartache, and destruction in store for us. Recognize the man behind the curtain and overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your witness. Understand, there are going to be all kinds of things that are war against you to break your faith, to destroy your faith, to destroy your courage, to destroy everything that you are, to cruelly oppress your life. And understand, there is someone behind the curtain who's pulling the strings, and it's time that we overcome him in the name of Jesus Christ. The third thought is just a cry for help. It's interesting that they wait 20 years to do that. And I just want to share with you, if you need help, cry out to God. Cry out to God because He's faithful. He'll meet you right where you are. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 says, if, if we are faithless, he will be faithful. Even when our faith is broken, or even when we break faith, God doesn't break faith with us. And he's always available to us if we would just call for help. Just if you if you were drowning and there was somebody close that could do something, would you just remain silent? course not. We would cry for help. It's the same. Don't be in a position where you wait and you wait and you wait and th- and, or say something like, it'll just get better. I, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. You know, but then go back and say, have I repeated this baby behavior before? Is this the second song? First verse? Second verse? Third verse? The thousandth time I've done this? It's been 20 years I've been living under this same thing and I can't figure it out and understand it's not flesh and blood. It's not people. It's not stuff. It's the adversary of your souls that has no good intention for you or for me. You can cry for help. And I'm so glad this morning that God is faithful. Even when I am faithless, God is faithful. And when you call to Him, He will answer you at that very moment. He will come to your aid. He is there to heal, to restore, to forgive, to deliver us if we just call for help. I'm grateful for that this morning. Second portion of Scripture is Judges chapter 4, verses 4 to 10. Let's take a look at it. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lipidoth was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, 
son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. And the 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. I want to walk through the personalities that are in this passage. The first is Deborah, prophet, wife, leader, and mother. She is a a leader, kind of a full-orbed leader, as it were. She was the wife of Lipidot, so she was a family woman, but she was also a prophet of God. God was speaking into her life. And one of the things that is so unique about this, you can read about Deborah and you're not going to find one thing other than exemplary character in everything she does. There is not one word spoken that would ever ever have us consider anything but exemplary character. So consider this phrase. Character is what defines you. It's what people see in you. It's what people will say about you after you pass away. Wow. I don't know about you, but that would be a pretty good epitaph. Is that someone would remember me because of my character. Not because of what I do. Character defines me. Character defines you. Character defines us. It's what people see in you. But it's also what people say about us when we're no longer here. My, my hope and my prayer for me, and I think for all of us, not just to live our lives well now, but to finish well and to finish strong. That our character is intact from the moment that we're confronted with the truth of God's word till the moment we pass from this life. Proverbs 15 and verse number 9 says, The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he does what? He loves Those who pursue godliness. Let it be so. Let it be so. She, she, in this leadership role, declares with strength and confidence God's plan for deliverance to Barak. She's very clear. It says, this is what the Lord commands you to do. I mean, she just says, here it is. The Lord commands you to do this. Get your 10,000 guys, and then you're going to go to the Kishon River, and God's going to lead Sisera to the Kishon River. You go... Well, that's pretty specific, and so that's exactly what we see unfold. And what is so important about this is Deborah was so clear that God had spoken to her. My question to all of us, are we as clear when God speaks into our life? And I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, or in the past few weeks, say it that way. I want to develop such a familiar friendship with Jesus that I'm always absolutely confident and know that this is the voice of God speaking into my life. 
we need to develop that friendship with Jesus because he will lead you, he will guide you, he will direct your paths. But we have to hear his voice and we have to listen. We have to recognize his voice. Jesus said it. He says, my sheep do what? They know my voice. They know it. I want to know the voice of God. Deborah did. And she led out of that. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it's not in your notes. You can look it up later. It just talks about this idea that you're going to hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Go right, go left. Walk this way. It's the direction of God. Know the voice of the Lord. She was not hesitant at whatsoever about giving the command of the Lord to Barak. The second personality is Barak. Barak is hesitant, honorable, and he's the commander. Now, it's, it's significant. You look at this in this dialogue. It says, the Lord commands you. And then what does Barak say? If you go with me, I'll go. And that sounds a little hesitant. It sounds a little bit like he's insecure. Now, there may be some truth to that. I mean, we don't know the full story. But I would look at it this way. There may have been some hesitance, but I also believe there was honor. I believe Barak was giving honor to the anointed leader of Israel. There's something very significant about that to me. You see, Deborah says that if you don't, if you don't go, as I am saying, you're not gonna, if I go, you, you're not going to receive the honor. A woman's going to receive the honor. And one can look at this and say, well, is she being a little bit self-serving? I'm, she's going to get the honor? No, it's another woman who's going to get the honor. She's just stating the obvious. But here's what I want you to catch. He may, have been, he may have been hesitant, but I believe he showed honor to Deborah. And here's what I would just let you take away from this. Is there someone, is there someone in your life whose faith you can bolster by your presence? I wonder if in some respect, Barak says, come with me. That's going to give me increased strength and I'm going to be able to stand even stronger knowing that the leader of God's people is alongside me. And I want to share this thought. Deborah bolstered, Deborah bolstered Barak's faith, and Barak honored Deborah's position. I believe there is something to be said about honoring the people whom God has placed in your life. Even to the point of saying, it's not about me. It isn't about what God has even called me to do, but come alongside. Come with me. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32, look at this, really significant. Do I need to give you more examples? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon. What's the next name? Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through their faith. They defeated kingdoms. They did what was right, received God's promises, and shut the mouths of lions. You notice that Deborah is not mentioned in this hall of fame of faith, but Barak is. And just so that you know, this is not a man thing. It has nothing to do with that. But I believe all it has everything to do with the fact that he lifted up the anointed leader of Israel above himself and said, it's not about me receiving the honor. It is about the honor going to God, the one who has caused me to do what I'm going to do. And if God gives the honor to someone else, so be it. It's not about that. And I believe because of that, he is listed in, with the characters of great faith. As we move through this, 
We've seen two very principal leaders or two very principal characters. The next portion of Scripture unfolds the story even in greater fullness. Chapter 4, verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanaim near Kedesh. Now can I just stop a minute? This is testing everything that I can possibly imagine on biblical pronunciation of words. And I am doing the best I can. So if I mess up, just bear with me, okay? I did not take biblical pronunciation of words in college or seminary, all right? So just know that. (laughs) Okay. When they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Agawam to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day, look at this, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with his 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and the army by the sword. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagawam. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera... Meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber, the Kenite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Haber, the Kenite, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand at the doorway of the tent, he told her. And if someone comes by and asks you, is there anyone there? Say no. But Jael... Haber's wife picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while they lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by the pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Now, quite a story. So Haber the Kenite, where, who is he? The Kenites were a nomadic people, somewhat related to Moses, as you, as you noticed. But they had an alliance with Jabin. That just kind of sets it in motion. Haber is Jael's husband. Sisera, he's the enemy. So we know that. Sisera is the enemy. He's lured to the river. He's lured to the river Kishon with his 900 chariots. This is a very formidable force, as we already mentioned. Barak, the commander, uh, he routed Sisera and the 900 chariots, or God did. Deborah stated in verse number 14, the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? You say, okay, why the river Kishon? What is going on? If you read chapter 5 and verse 21, chapter 5 is the song of Deborah, which kind of recounts everything that's happened. Look at verse number 21. It says, the river Kishon swept by, swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on my soul and be strong. God marched them or lured them to the river, and then there was a thunderstorm and a flash flood, not in the wet season. This was the dry season of the year, and God swept the chariots away by a thunderstorm and a flash flood. Let me just tell you, iron chariots don't do too well in the mud. That's exactly what happened. 
The chariots got bogged down in the mud, which allowed the 10,000 foot soldiers to overwhelm a far superior force. And the idea is this was God who delivered them into their hands because they trusted him. Even though faith had been broken, God was faithful and brought about an incredible victory. And then there's Sisera. He runs away on foot and he ends up in the tent, in the tent of Jael, the housewife. Now, I don't say housewife in any way other than just to say she is a normal, everyday girl serving her family. And Sisera enters her tent. And this is risky. His culture would have said, A man did not enter the tent of a woman without the permission or the presence of her husband. But he did, because he felt secure in the treaty that had been signed. But Jael said, no, 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 and put a tent peg through his temple. I know it's a little graphic for a Sunday morning, I get that. But that was God's judgment upon Sisera. You say, well, man, she must have been pretty skilled at doing this tent peg thing. We have to understand, setting up, the setting up of the tents was woman's work at that particular time in history. She was experienced. But here's the deal. What is so significant to me, she simply used what she had to accomplish the plan of God. You know something? It may not be a tent peg this morning. But every one of us in this place have something that God has gifted us to do. We have abilities. We have things within our hands, within our grasp, that if we will surrender them to God, God will use them for his honor and glory, and he'll be, great things will happen. We just look and say, no, I've got to have this before, no. What do you have in your hand? Use what God has given you. The honor of subduing Sisera went to a woman. Not Deborah, but Jael. You ready for this? An ordinary, everyday, unlikely housewife. Don't ever minimize your place at this moment in time. Don't minimize your calling. Don't minimize your position. Don't minimize the fact that, well, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a teacher. I'm just an accountant. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. If I was just that, it's at that point that I'll be really, really good and usable to God. No. Just surrender yourself to God and say, God, I'll do whatever you, you want for me because I know you will empower me. And that's what we see in this story. You see, understand this. God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises. But we cannot, we cannot Tie him down on how he will do it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. It says, don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is yours, not, but the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Isaiah chapter 43, don't be afraid. I saved you. I named you. You are mine. When you have troubles, I am with you. When you cross rivers, you will not be hurt. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not hurt you. That's because I, the Lord, am your God. I, the Holy One of Israel, is am your Savior. Understand, the battle may not, it may look overwhelming. You you may look at the the abilities that you bring to the table as being absolutely inconsequential, but understand, the battle is not yours, it is God's, and he will bring victory for his glory on your behalf. Romans chapter 4, verse number 21. It's a great verse of Scripture. 
reads, but he did not doubt or waver in unbelief. And this is speaking of, of Abraham. Look at this. He didn't, he didn't doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. God is able to be, he will be faithful. He will accomplish what he has promised. God's promises are for you. There's a song that I grew up singing years, many, many years ago. And some of you may recognize these lyrics. Every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. All the blessings of his love divine, every promise in the book is mine. God's promises are for all of us. And remember, those promises are will defeat will defeat the man behind the curtain. You notice Sisera falls with the tent peg, but you notice that the last verse in that portion of Scripture, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. You see, Jabin was eventually the one that would be destroyed. In Judges chapter 5 and verse 31, if you move again to the song of Deborah, this is what we read. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. I don't know about you, but the idea of peace in life sounds pretty good. And that means that we need not to be cruelly oppressed or Difficult, have the difficulties of broken faith. So I would just ask these questions. Are you crying out to God for help? Do, if not, do so if you need help. Are you longing to hear the voice of God? How about you needing someone to come alongside of you? Are you facing overwhelming odds? Or are you getting ready to claim a victory in Jesus' name? And I want us to focus on that, getting ready to claim a victory in Jesus' name because God is faithful no matter how broken our faith may be, no matter how broken our lives may be. God is faithful. And there is a victory for all of us to receive if we just cry to Him for help. Father, thanks for Your Word this morning. And I pray that in just these next moments, You'll work in us in, in unique ways where each of us are at this moment. Thank you, Jesus, that you are able to do far more than I can even think or imagine in our lives. Sometimes faith is broken. Sometimes it's sometimes we break it and sometimes it just breaks. Can't really put our arms around it, but Lord, it doesn't lead us anywhere particularly good. Lord, this morning I pray that you're going to restore some faith. It'll work in our lives in unique ways. Thank you. In Jesus' name. I want to put one more point up on the board for you. Because sometimes I think it's important for us to realize this phrase. God often uses the unlikely and the ordinary to accomplish the uncommon 
and the extraordinary. One more time. The unlikely and the ordinary. Once again, maybe this morning you've been in a place where you've felt the cruel oppression, as it were, of broken faith. I'll just do it this way. For minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, or years. It doesn't matter how much time has passed. But can I just tell you, when my faith begins to erode or I have challenges or I have questions or I have wounds where I'm feeling cruelly oppressed, let me just pause. Has anybody ever felt cruelly oppressed? I don't wait 20 years to cry to God for help. It's at that moment I say, God, help me. I need you. I wonder what difference there would have been if Israel had cried to God sooner. What might have been avoided? What difficulties could have been overcome? And I would just say the same for us this morning. I want all of us this morning to just say, I'm getting ready to claim a victory in my life. I'm not going to continue in the way that it's been. It's time for that to break. It's time for that to change. Cry to God for help this morning. So, Father, you hear us. You see us. You look into our hearts. We're at different places this morning. We're crying to you for help today. And right where you are this morning, don't, don't look around. Just keep your eyes closed for a second. If that's you, just say, I just need to cry to God for help. I just need God's help. If that's you, just lift your hand. I want to see it. I want to pray for you today. Keep them up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All around the room. Lord, What I'm so thankful in this story this morning is that when your people cried for help, you answered. You raised up a leader. There's no greater leader this morning that we can appeal to than our Savior. He saves us, he he forgives, he, he heals, he delivers, he restores, he strengthens, he helps, he encourages so, Lord, there are those around this room this morning, many, who are saying they just feel the oppression, the difficulty of life and maybe broken faith or faith that's breaking or, Lord, just the, the sense of faith hasn't broken, but, man, I just feel brokenness in my life. We're getting ready to claim a victory in Jesus' name. So right at this very moment, Lord, I pray that you would speak life into our lives today. We recognize that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's it's not against anything other than spiritual forces of darkness that that just war against us. The adversary of our souls is relentless. 
So, Lord, we just take authority over him by the blood of Jesus right now. In the name of Jesus, by the word of our testimony, the word of our witness, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I belong to you. So, therefore, I declare you to be Lord over my life and over all of the difficulty of my life. And, Lord, I pray the areas where faith is broken or I'm experiencing brokenness, I pray for your healing and your wholeness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that even in this, in this simple setting this morning where we can just open our hearts to you, you can speak life to us. And Lord, we can have the peace transcends understanding about the the things that we're facing now and the things that we may face later. So Lord, even if we're broken, you remain faithful. You're always there to restore us. We thank you in Jesus' name.